millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, January 25th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, members of the Mississippi House want to reinstate the ballot initiative, but many disagree on how it should be done. Lawmakers gathered today for a second special session for a major economic development package. Plus, Mississippi's medical marijuana industry is strong despite some growing pains, according to state officials and industry advocates. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Members of the Mississippi House advanced a bill that would reinstate a ballot initiative process, but it would make several significant changes to what's in the state constitution. Instead of allowing voters to make changes to the constitution without restrictions, it would prevent certain topics from going on to the ballot. It would also give lawmakers power to amend a measure before and after it goes before voters. It's been nearly three years since the state Supreme Court ruled against a successful ballot measure that would have legalized medical marijuana in the state constitution. Republican Representative Fred Shanks of Brandon presented the bill. HCR 11 restores the ballot initiative process that was struck down by the Supreme Court. This resolution restores the initiative process with the following changes. This referendum will allow citizens to amend state statute. For an initiative to qualify for the ballot, there must be a minimum of 8% of the total qualified voters that signed the proposed petition. Of those signatures, there must be an equal number of signatures from each congressional district. If an initiative requires state spending, the sponsor must identify in the text the amount and the source of revenue necessary to implement. No more than three initiatives will be on the ballot in a given election. The first three the Secretary of State receives will be the three on the ballot. If an initiative passes, there's a two-year waiting period for the legislature to amend any adopted initiative unless the initiative is deemed an emergency affecting public peace, health, safety, or financial solvency of the state. In this case of emergency legislation, the House or the Senate may amend or repeal the initiative by three-fifths vote. The initiative process cannot be used for laws relating to abortion. Shank says preventing abortion from becoming a ballot measure could protect the state's law that led to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. In 2011, Mississippi voters did vote on the issue of abortion through a ballot measure. The personhood amendment would have virtually banned all abortions by defining life and rights as beginning at conception. 58% of voters checked no on the ballot, with just 41% voting in favor of the amendment. Abortion rights groups say in the time since that vote, support for abortion rights has only grown in the state. House Minority Leader Robert Johnson of Natchez challenged Shanks on this issue during the floor debate. Uh, Do you remember the personhood amendment? 
I don't. The personhood that was, that was on the ballot, it dealt with abortion. You remember how the state vote, voted on that? I, I do not. And so you're saying that the will of the people of the state of Mississippi, those same people who said they want the ballot initiative restored, they've expressed their will, and you're saying, I'm not going to let you do that again. Is that what you're saying with this bill? No. I, to have well, that. Well, you're prohibiting them from voting on something that they've already voted on, and that would, personhood dealt with abortion, mm -hmm. and you're saying you did it once, I'm not going to let you do it again. Well, to answer that, I mean, I'm going to stand up for the rights of the unborn. But they don't have a voice. And that's why it's in there. And so the rights of the people of the state of Mississippi, their constitutional right to have their voice heard, you're going to prohibit that when it, when it, when it, when it deals with a subject that you have a certain opinion about. I, I mean, again, that's why we're here. I get, well, no, we're here to, to, as you said, we're here to restore the ballot initiative. That's why we're here. Some lawmakers also had concerns about how the legislature could potentially undo what voters choose with the bill's current language. The state constitution allows the process to make constitutional amendments. After a measure is adopted, the legislature would have to allow voters to approve any future changes. But with this bill proposing a system of statutory changes, lawmakers could amend it at almost any time depending on the situation. Independent... Representative Shonda Yates of Jackson says this could virtually take away the power of the initiative process. Are we really giving the voters the ability to substantively affect change if we are able to amend their petition and then change what they pass at the ballot? I think so. I mean, we don't have to do that. And if we were going to just do that, we, I mean, I wouldn't be standing up here you know, offering to do a ballot initiative to begin with if we were just going to turn right around and change it. I understand that we don't have to, but this does give us the ability to as a body, correct? Yes. This is the third legislative session where lawmakers are addressing the issue of the initiative process. Each year, bills have died on the calendar as the House and Senate have been unable to agree on what the process should look like. Both chambers have supported a limited process, but members of the Senate have voted for increasing the signature requirements to a point where House members believe it would be too prohibitive for voters. Democratic Representative Bryant Clark of Pickens also raised concerns during the flood discussion, the floor discussion about how this bill could prevent measures that would need state funding to enact. Why are we second guessing the citizens? You know, these same citizens are smart enough to elect us and send us to this body, but it's almost insulting that they don't have the sense enough to vote on certain measures. I, that's almost insulting to me a little bit. Well, I disagree with you. I, I, I mean, we do not have a process for them right now, period. And we're trying to get something for them, an avenue. And again, we're just trying to get it to the other side to where we can keep negotiating. Well, the easiest way to get it to the other side, especially requiring a two-thirds vote, would be to do exactly what the uh, Mississippi Supreme Court gave us to do. If we're just trying to get it to the other side, Mr. Chairman. Well, I'm going to disagree. I, I, we, we ran into some issues on that with the other side the past two years. The bill passed the House with 80 votes yes and 39 no, surpassing the required two-thirds majority needed. Coming up, Governor Tate Reeves is calling another special session for a major economic development project. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
On Money Talks, we discuss money news and take your questions about personal finance. For 15 years, we've provided free financial information for Mississippians. I hope you can join me, Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, co-host of Money Talks, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. or anytime on our podcast. Supporting Mississippi Public Broadcasting can take many forms. Would you like to sponsor your favorite program or leave a legacy in your will? You could purchase our specialty car tag or donate a vehicle. Contribute appreciated stocks or buy a pair of socks from our web store. Do you make an automatic monthly sustaining donation? Connect with the MPB Foundation. Call us up or go to mpbonline.org. Connect with the people looking to connect with you. Become an underwriter with Mississippi Public Broadcasting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash more slash underwriting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Governor Tate Reeves is calling another special session of the legislature for an economic development project. He says this capital investment will surpass the highest in state history four times over. It's estimated the company will invest $10 billion in the making of two facilities. While Reeves didn't disclose which company will be making this major investment, he says it will be two data processing centers in Madison County. The size of this new investment is unlike anything we've ever seen before. It will be the single largest capital investment that has ever been made in the state of Mississippi by a lot. That's because this project we'll be finalizing is at least a $10 billion investment in our state. Let me say that again. $10 billion investment. And just to put that in perspective, it is four times larger than the previous largest economic development project in our state's history. The project will create a thousand new high-tech jobs for Mississippians and will help expand our state's growing technology sector. It truly is an opportunity for us to diversify our economy. Over the last four years, you've heard me talking about preparing Mississippians for the high-paying jobs of the next 50 years, not the low-paying jobs of the last 50 years. These 1,000 jobs are exactly that. That's because, once finalized, it will result in two hyperscale data center complexes on two industrial park sites. That is not one building at each site, just FYI. One data center will be located uh, near Canton, and a second will be located at another site in Madison County. According to reports by Supertalk following the news conference, these data centers are expected to be owned and operated by Amazon Web Services. This is the fourth special session called by the governor since taking office and the second one called this month. Last week, the state invested around $350 million towards infrastructure for electric car battery manufacturing facilities in North Mississippi. For this initiative, Reeves is asking the legislature to set aside $44 million in state incentives to help with job training and another $215 million for Madison 
Washington County to help build up infrastructure. House Speaker Jason White tells our Will Stribling this is a major step forward for the state. Well, specifically for the special for the project last week and this special session for this week, we're actually spending cash of about. 150 million. Um, but the good news is we have several hundred million dollars in the state's bank account. We have not spent all of our revenue the last two, three years in our budgeting process. We've taken in way more than we've spent. And so I would, you know, for, for my um, Republican colleagues, I would say that that conservatism and not spending every dollar has allowed us to, to have money set aside so that we can do cool, innovative projects like this and actually pay cash on the front end for the parts that we're funding last week and this week. Certainly, it is a priority, and that means we won't be spending it on other things, but um, we still have plenty of money in the bank, and we still have a robust um, budget. And, and revenues are up, and we continue. We will take in several hundred million more than we actually spend in this current budget year. So we're, we look good from a cash standpoint, and so I don't see this impeding our ability to fund the things that are important and that, that are the priorities um, of the legislature this year and in future years. And uh, these are, you know, Mississippi isn't thought of as, as a tech state, but now we've had these two major economic development projects in this space. What do you think it says about just the future of the state economy and where it's headed? I think it's it's obviously trending up, and and the momentum is real. Uh, the positivity around it, and and you know the governor said it best. It's a watershed moment for our state. It kind of you hear this term thrown around all the time, and and sometimes it's said a lot, and maybe it doesn't really mean it. But this is a game changer for our state. It changes the trajectory, not only of our economy generally, but specifically into high tech, high paying jobs of today and and for the uh, far out future as far as where our economy in in the united states and in the world is going it's going in a, in a way that is high tech and now this shows and proves that businesses are willing to invest here and be a partner with mississippians um and that our best days are ahead when it comes to we're going to be around for a while um economically and we're going to survive well in this uh in this high tech world that that we've become Coming up, Mississippi's medical marijuana industry is strong despite some growing pains, according to state officials and industry advocates. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Want to keep up with MPB? Go to mpbonline.org. Or you can find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at mpbonline. What can you do with the MPB Radio app? Listen live, hear local news, view the schedule, make a contribution, listen to shows on demand, and interact with social media. Get the app for your smartphone now. You can participate in the local MPB Think Radio programs this morning with phone calls and emails. At 9 on Creature Comforts, we'll talk about your animals and the animals around you. Get answers to your automotive repair questions on AutoCorrect at 10. And at 11, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens deals with the health of your children.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. During a Senate Finance Committee meeting this week, revenue leaders shared the state's business side of the medical marijuana industry and says that it is growing well. That despite recent disruptions in the testing process of cannabis on the production and distribution side of the industry overseen by the State Department of Health. Chris Graham is commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Revenue. He shared the progress made with lawmakers during Monday's meeting of the Senate Finance Committee. As of, uh, I think, last week, there were about 210 dispensaries statewide. They're not all in business currently. There's, there's less than 150, I think, actively selling product in the state. Uh, but there are a number that are that are also have license, currently have licenses who have not quite yet opened up. Uh, that's been a, y'all aren't the appropriations committee, but the appropriations committee was really good to us by giving us some additional funding to make sure that we could hire the employees that we needed to cover the medical cannabis program. And we were able to do that. We were able to, to buy some equipment uh, because of some appropriations that the appropriations committee gave us in addition w- once we passed the medical cannabis program. And so we've been able to staff up and get our equipment right for that. And from our perspective, that program is operating as from a ca- medical cannabis dispensary perspective as as you all intended for it to at this point. The industry is still dealing with the effects of an administrative hold from the state health department on around 75% of medical marijuana products in late December. The hold was due to safety concerns at one of the state's two certified testing labs. This caused an unprecedented level of disruption to the industry. According to Henry Chrysler, he's executive director of the Mississippi Medical Marijuana Association. And even though the hold has prevented dispensaries from selling most of their product for nearly a month, he says it hasn't caused any of them to go out of business. He speaks without Will Stribling about the issue. I think the growth's pretty good. I don't, 210 seems high. I, I, last time I, I saw, and this, I mean, Department of Revenue probably has a better number than I do, but uh, the Department of Health quotes the number at like 189, I think, 190. I had to go back and look. But, um, yeah, we have 118 open dispensaries. So from, you know, March of last year, I think we had 10 maybe. Um, so, you know, it's pretty exponential growth. So we're pretty happy about the access in terms of uh, dispensaries uh, being opened. And, you know, there's several opening almost every month. So um, I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised if we're at 150 or 160 by middle of this year. Yeah, and as as more continue to open, how is that going to affect the overall market, you think? Is it going to push prices down, or is it going to just stay stable where it is right now? Most likely, prices will come down over time as dispensaries. Well, I mean, really, the number of dispensaries doesn't really affect the price. I think the number of cultivators, is the number of actual producers growing the the medicine is is what's going to affect the price. And again, with with that side of things, with the supply side, it's also done nothing but, but grow pretty exponentially over the last year. Uh, I think we're at 70 full cultivators and then 68 or 69 micro cultivators. So we've got well over 900,000 square feet, uh, close to a million square feet of licensed canopy space in the state. Now, I, I don't think, you know, we're using nearly as much as is licensed. I think we're closer to like three or 400,000 actually being cultivated or used to cultivate. Um, but the capacity to bring on more supply is already there in the market. And I think People are just waiting for the patient count, the actual demand side, to increase before they start supplying more. But once all of the licensed canopy comes online that's already licensed, I think the, the cost of cannabis will come down significantly. 
the vulnerability of of this market that was exposed uh, due to the, the the retesting that had to be done. Are our products completely back on shelves now? And like, what was the real impact on on dispensaries? It was there was I mean significant impact. I mean, there still is significant impact from what I understand. Um, I mean, I think yeah, initially it was close to or approximately around seventy percent of the inventory on on the market uh, back in December, and they have over the last two weeks the Department of Health has released you know thousands of SKUs uh, of different products, but I, I'm not exactly sure how much that equates in terms of, you know, percentage of inventory back online. Um, I think it's, you know, of the 70% that's been uh, quarantined, I think probably 30% of that is back online at, at, at the moment. Uh, but we do have, you know, it, it was, we were relying almost exclusively on one licensed laboratory uh, to do all this retesting. But I did have a conversation with um, one of the other licensed labs that just came online last week or two weeks ago spoke to them yesterday, and they are also uh, working on retesting. So I think with two working labs working on it, I think probably this week or next week we, sh- we should be fully back online. If, if the Department of Health sticks with their timeline, it should be all, by Friday all of the products that were quarantined should be back online. I'm just, you know, hesitant to say with confidence that that will be the case. Where is this new lab located? And can you talk a, a, a bit, too, about how – beneficial that is for situations like this? Sure. I, well, it's Alchemy Analytics is the name of the lab. I believe they're in North Mississippi. And, you know, at the beginning of this program, you know, when, when we were working on Initiative 65, and we had policy experts from across the country, you know, advising us on how best to, to create a program like this. And one of the things they stressed, you know, at the very beginning was the need for testing capacity in the state. And they recommended that we have, you know, four operational laboratories at the beginning of the program. Unfortunately, we, you know, we only had two, I think, at the beginning of the program. Um, so having, you know, we have five licensed laboratories um, across the state so far, and two of them will be online. Well, one of them is already online, Alchemy. And then Ardwolf Certus, we expect them to be online sometime this month, if not early next month. And then um, Magnolia Tech Labs, I believe, is also in in the final stages of um, their build-out, or I think they might be in test method validation process. So they're working with the state, the Department of Health, to ensure that their procedures for testing is is up to up to the standards of the state. Um, and so they they should be up up and running by February or March, from what I understand. So we we will be at sort of at the capacity we we wanted to be at the beginning by the end of this quarter. And I think you know I think we'll be in a much better shape. And I don't think something like this will happen again when we have four or five operational laboratories, you know, throughout the state and the, you know, the market share is spread amongst four or five laboratories instead of two. From your perspective, how are all the different groups involved with this industry faring right now? I mean, cultivators, processes, you know, retailers, et cetera, like how is each group doing? Um, Well, I will say, you know, as industry as a whole, um, everyone is still in pretty high spirits. I mean, even those that are losing, you know, financially, you know, impacted significantly by this. I mean, from what I understand, no one has thrown in the towel so far. I mean, even people that, you know, 100% of their inventory was tested through rapid analytics and, you know, all of that was, it's been quarantined for for weeks and they haven't made any money. They still are fully committed to coming back online once the situation is over. So, I mean, 
everyone obviously it's had a large financial impact on on our operators you know mostly dispensaries and processors um you know i I think it's it's been very difficult for them to continue but they still are right so none of them have have given up and i think you know if if the department of health sticks to their timeline and, and we see you know a completion by friday uh i think everyone will get over the financial impact it's had within the next year. I think, you know, no, no one wants to give up just because, because of this problem, although it has, it has had a significant impact. Henry Chrysler is executive director of the Mississippi Medical Marijuana Association. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.